Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. Here's your host, Chris Lee. Commodore fans, on your feet, it's time to anchor down. Welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast, presented by Dr. Jody Jones, DDS. We are part of the 440 Sports Network. I'm your host, Chris Lee. Our guest today, Andrew Allegretta. We will touch on Vanderbilt football, baseball, and basketball. Andrew appears on the guest line. That is sponsored by Sutherland and Belk, a family-owned injury law firm. If you or a loved one has been hurt in an accident, please call Taylor or Russell. That number, 615-846-6200. See what your rights are and if they can help. Now let's get straight to our interview with Andrew. Andrew Allegretta joins us. We are here to talk a bunch of stuff. Andrew, thanks for joining us. Hope your Christmas and New Year's went really well. Yeah, they were great. How was yours, Chris? Really well. Um, lots of lots of stuff happens when you got a seven and a ten year old. Christmases are fun. I know you got a little one yourself, and uh, uh-huh. you got you got many years of fun ahead of you uh, and exhaustion. But uh, <laughs> the fun makes the exhaustion worth it. So. Uh, yeah, no, I built a couple of toys, but I'm thankful that one, the toys that I built were enjoyed and two, the toys that I built were, uh, limited on the number of screws and wrenches required. So, uh, I call it a win. And always stock up on batteries. (laughs) (laughs) No doubt. We've got a little stash. Yeah. Uh, let's talk hoops. Just frankly, two not really good back-to-back games for Vanderbilt. I mean, look, the, the complexion changes if you can can hit a bucket and beat South Carolina, but frankly, two back-to-back performances that weren't great. And to be honest, this is a team, and I hate to keep going there, but, man, they miss Liam Robbins and Rodney Chapman right now. It's certainly hard to think otherwise. Uh, it's noticeable uh, being in the building last night watching the Kentucky game about – um, the size discrepancy. And there's probably a lot of teams in the country that deal with this and uh, positionless basketball is certainly a thing these days, right? You try to have your one big man and your four others can play around him. So that's not a new concept, but uh, the size discrepancy is noticeable. And I don't know that just flat out fixing the size discrepancy cures all ills. And then all of a sudden this is an NCAA tournament team and it's burning through the league, but um, it it softens the stress everywhere. Um, And I would certainly, and I suspect within reason and for the health of the player, and I have no particular insight, but within reason, even if Liam Robbins is not exactly picture perfect, exactly where he would want to be and all of those sort of things, And even if he's not up to the speed of the game at this point in the season, which by the way, if, and when he comes back, um, he's not going to be right. He's going to be in November when everybody else is in January or February. Having said that you would take, you would take him just to, to ease the pressure on everybody else. I I don't think that's too far flung from the truth. Well, the thing that discouraged me coming out of the South Carolina game was Carolina got too many points too easily at point blank range. A lot of that happened when Quentin Malore Brown picked up his second foul late in that half. And this is not to be critical 
of Jermaine Mann because I think the kid plays really hard and does the best he can. But he was listed in the Rivals database as a small forward out of high school. And now he's guarding post guys. And that's just – if you're Charles Barkley, that's going to work. Um, you know, but but most of us aren't. And I just think that's the thing to me. Defense is where they've hung their hat. And now I think teams are starting to be able to expose that just through their their lack of size and ability in the paint. Yeah, and, and then you've got to get extremely physical on the glass. And I think they do get physical on the glass, but probably not enough. Um, looking at the points in the paint last night, you know, 36 points in the paint for Kentucky compared to 18 for Vanderbilt. Uh, probably not a shock necessarily. Uh, the rebounding totals for last night, Vanderbilt comes up with 26 and then Kentucky comes up with 42. Um, you can't just flat out, if you've got a size deficit, out rebound someone through pure heart and hustle and effort and all of that sort of stuff. But I, I don't think there's any denying that uh, the rebounding mindset could be, um, you know, tidied up some uh, to at least minimize some of those margins. Scotty Pippen goes for 32 points, uh, puts up a minus six. I think at half he had scored 17 and had a, a minus 19. Frankly, I didn't think his defensive effort was always there. But I think that they're the point where as much as they didn't want to do it, they're just going to have to live and die by him because I don't see that they've got offensive weapons. I mean, Trey Thomas did it in bits. He stepped up and has hit some shots. But, I mean, look, even while he's doing that, they're down 20-something points to Kentucky. I just almost have to think that the path to them winning games is kind of what they don't really want to do at this point, and that's really rely overly on Scotty. So first, I want to clean up one point that I just made uh, in terms of rebounding, right? Rebounding isn't the be-all, end-all, but if you're going to concede on the glass, you've got to compensate possessions elsewhere, right? So the team that I came from at Tulane, Ron Hunter didn't give a rip about the rebounding stat, and he would tell you he didn't care because he compensates with steals and forced turnovers, which is fine. That's, That's all well and good. But this bandy team doesn't compensate as much as they need to, certainly last night with steals or turnovers. Uh, Kentucky had nine. Vandy had seven steals. So uh, there's not enough compensation there to, to balance out just the total possessions. Okay, moving forward to your uh, previous statement about relying on Scotty. Um, you know, I, I think it wasn't – so I'm not taking a quote out of context, and, help, <clears throat> and you can probably help me clean this up, Chris. But I believe it was Scotty that, that made the note that, that Vandy wasn't as physical or tough with Kentucky as necessary in a game like this. That, that, was, that was the gist of one of his sound bites and his quote post-game last night, right? I'm pretty sure I saw that. Um, and I guess what I'm taking away from that is not, I'm going to pivot away from just Scotty a little bit on you is watching that game. I, I don't know if, I don't know if it's Jordan or Trey or Studi. I mean, trying to ask all of these people to play downhill toward the basket more often is not probably suited for all of their games, but Vandy's going to need to get some additional aggressiveness moving toward the basket. 
if we're going to play a drive and kick sort of offense or a two man or an ISO game sort of offense, if you're going to attack the paint as part of the ISO game, you better attack the paint. And it always strikes me that there is just a slice of hesitation sometimes as they get in there. Uh, and perhaps that's not as fair of a assessment as necessary. And perhaps there's context to that. But a level of physicality and toughness and aggressiveness and a downhill motion getting toward the basket, one, you're going to finish at the basket better. And two, you're going to collapse the defense and provide better kickouts for open shots. So all of a sudden, maybe Studi can make more or Trey can make more. And I'm not placing the blame on any one individual person. That would be uh, ridiculous. But as a whole, offensively, boy, you would just like an inch more tenacity as they're attacking, whether that's in the two-man game, whether that's ISO, whether that's just aggressiveness off the press, whatever. You would just like an inch more tenacity. Well, I think we've about exhausted basketball at this point, unfortunately. But but there is Daniel Martin to talk about. Uh, Yeah, so... Daniel Martin, linebacker from Marietta, Georgia, I'm sure folks saw, obviously, you know, it it sounds like he's kind of been in the fold for at least positively in terms of the communication with the coaching staff for a while. Uh, But the fact that he announces and commits live on national television over Florida State, over Oregon, um, look, always, always, always the proof is on Saturdays in the fall. But, but, (laughs) but if you watched Alabama and Georgia, Ain't nobody going to say that talent doesn't make a world of difference. You, you got to have dudes. <laughs> you got to have dudes. The cliche, let me grab one from my bag, forget the X's <laughs> nose, give me the Jimmy's and Joe's, right? So yeah. um, you got to have those dudes. And Vandy taking strides in the recruiting classes is just huge. Um, again, you would have the context, Chris, on – how coach Franklin was able to elevate the recruiting rankings for Vander uh, for Vandy during his uh, brief stay uh, here in Nashville. But my understanding is he did. Um, And obviously coach Lee in one really tangible class, um, you know, he took the class that he had from a season ago, obviously. And then this is his first car uh, coach Clark Lee staff recruiting class. And to vault this thing into the top 35, top 30, top, whatever it is, depending on whatever service you want to go uh, comb through matters a great deal. So, uh, you know, I've got enthusiasm um, about what is capable from this program next season. Does that mean it's going to go, you know, win the SEC East or anything like that? I I think we're all very level-headed human beings at this point in time, but all of a sudden it doesn't feel like, there is the uphill battle and the talent gap maybe that there, there once was. You've got to turn these guys into dudes. But I, I, it's, it's emblazoned in my brain. Barton Simmons saying there's a 1,000 NFL guys every single season. It's a matter of getting those guys into your program, making them the right fit, and turning them into NFL guys. And that's where the work is. Uh, but, but we would all rather start with dudes that have higher ceilings. And clearly, Vandy will go into 2022 coaching up a roster that has a higher ceiling than it did previously. This season of the Vandy Sports Podcast is made possible by my friend, Dr. Jody Jones, DDS. 
When it comes to general or cosmetic dentistry services, Jody is the best in Nashville. And just check out his client list. It testifies to that. He sees movie stars, music stars, athletes, coaches, you name it. Jody is the dentist of choice for stars in Nashville. But he sees regular folks like you and I as well. And what people like about the experience is the ambiance. Someone described it to me as a tooth spa. I went in and looked at it myself. That's exactly what it is. It is a relaxing, friendly environment. So whether your dental needs are general or cosmetic, go see Jody. Call him at 615-270-2322. His office is located at 55 Music Square East, not far from downtown Nashville, not far from the Vanderbilt campus. Jody is a former Vanderbilt football player, a huge booster of Commodore Athletics. His support as the title sponsor for Season 7 is the reason we are able to do this podcast. Go see Dr. Jody Jones today. Thank him for his support of the Vandy Sports Podcast and tell him you heard about it here. Yeah, if you watch Georgia, the speed those guys put on the field, and look, Alabama's no slouch either, but it really stood out with Georgia sideline to sideline. What those guys can do. Am I allowed to say that I thoroughly enjoyed watching Georgia's linebackers just run? You, you can say whatever you want, and I, I think that's a, I, a very fair – those guys are just – N'Kobe Dean, Quay Walker, all those guys that they bring off the edge. I've never seen the number of guys who can run like that on a college team probably since you know Miami was doing Miami things yep. 20 years ago. Yep. Yeah, and not even not even the '90s Miami team, like the no. one team. Yeah, right. the one that everybody says about, is yeah. the most epic roster ever. Yeah, that one. Right. It had it ultimately had I think 17 first round draft picks or something absurd. Um, yeah, that one. I, I just I thoroughly enjoy watching them run. Like you said, the Kobe Dean are coming down from the safety position. Uh, scene number 16. There was a number of plays in that game where they just sliced through the line and it was just flat out gorgeous. Yeah. Um, and they're and they're and they're helped by having Jordan Davis in the middle. We can go up and down the list. But the point tying it back to Vanderbilt is starting to get the guys that I'm not saying there's a Nicobe Dean in this class or anything. I'm not putting pressure on anybody. But again, as a coaching staff, you get to start your work with a higher ceiling. To me, it's the equivalent of like, wouldn't we all like to do our jobs currently with a budget that's twice as large? Yeah, And that, that is effectively what the coaching staff, and you can kind of, I'm sure, pick through that statement if you want. But that's what the coaching staff gets to do. They get, just from a roster standpoint, they get to do their job with a larger budget. Okay, you asked about Franklin's recruiting, and it was really two things. They could, they could run, and they got guys who could play at an SEC level on the line of scrimmage. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They, are, they are woefully behind on the second, and that's not going to get fixed in the next year. Um, but It's probably going to take three. Yeah, well, and, th- and that's where I was going to go next, Andrew, is they've – I know people are excited, and they should be. I, I like the class. I like what he's done, but – you, he needs to stack two more of these mm-hmm, on mm-hmm, top of mm-hmm, this one, and then mm-hmm. we can talk about getting it turned around. And now next year's class, yeah. they're going to have to find dudes in the trenches. But they, the, the thing is, and I always say this, right? Um, I, I've been woefully wrong in terms of picking 
guys that I thought would be the next game changer for them. And really, with Vanderbilt, the lesson is this. You bring in 25 guys who you think can play. And if it goes really well, 15 of them pan out. And that's the thing. It's it's a numbers game with them. They need to bring in a lot of guys. And the one thing I will say with 100% certainty, because you don't know till these guys step on the field who's going to pop. But they signed enough guys with speed that that I know beyond the shadow of a doubt that you're going to start to see the impact of that because the guys they're bringing in – are, are notably faster than the guys that are here now. And, and, and that's, look, I think everybody knows yeah. that that part, that ladder's not on Clark Lee. You can't come in and make your team faster in a year. But I watched them, and right. it's like, remember when Nebraska was building its thing? You know, it was the whole, you know, you recruit safeties and make them linebackers and linebackers and make them linemen. I don't know that it's exactly that blueprint. But it is getting guys all over the field who can run, and and that's that. It was clear that they have hit that in this class. So here, and here's the psychology of it too that I think is relevant. I really do. You get a class of guys that, again, not one class maketh a program, but what this class gets to do if it decides to do this is enter into a program with zero baggage, they don't care about whatever weight has been placed on previous previous classes, the exhaustion of getting your butt whooped by whoever, and they get to push everybody else that's here. If this class wants to be the class that busts its tail, works hard, and do all of that kind of stuff, then they can elevate the play of everybody else. And guess what? If they help elevate the play of everybody else, then they'll help elevate the play of the class that comes in behind it and so on and so forth and whatever. And it's coach E culture E talk, which is um, to an extent overplayed, but there's a, there's a relevancy there for sure. Because now if, if, you know, uh, coach McKenzie is talking to Maurice Edwards about how he wants him to play and Maurice is buying in, in practice and practices are great. And then all of a sudden that helps drive Patrick Smith, which helps drive Ray Davis. And I'm not saying those guys aren't motivated. I'm just saying competition begets competition begets success. And everybody starts to get better when there's a day to day internal competition period, full stop, no doubt. So if this class with their skill set can help everybody else on the roster go, Oh yeah, we better, we better go. I mean, it's the same thing in baseball, right? Yeah. I mean, if there's a freshman that shows up and thinks that his 93 mile an hour fastball with a little run is going to get it done, and then he stands next to so and so and he goes, "Oh, it's not going to get it done," <laughs> and then he either then, then he either busts his butt and gets it up to speed to the rest of everybody else, or he doesn't and he flames out. So competition begets competition, which begets success, and it just it raises the standard of the play on the field and the work ethic and all that kind of stuff. So all of that is to be determined, but if they are just flat out more talented, it's going to wake everybody else up, and that's important too. Okay, I don't, I don't mean to put you on the spot here, but I think you'll deliver. Um, we all watch film of kids, read bios, all that stuff, and all have those two or three guys in the class where it's like, I can't wait to see how this one pans out when he gets here. Do you have any... Any couple of guys like that that you're really, really high on and can't wait to see get to campus? Well, uh, just to go back to the name that I mentioned, I know yeah. Maurice Edwards uh, yeah. was certainly one that, that has been um, kind of talked about quietly inside the coaching circles as, as a guy that 
um, you know, you, you look at his offer list, it's Vandy, Central Michigan, Eastern Illinois, Fordham, Illinois State. Um, that's just the ones that <clears throat> come up right away. Um, so I think, I think he had better than that, but yes, I, I get what you're going. Um, yeah, so there's a Boston College, there's a Georgia Tech, Syracuse, Temple, Wisconsin. Um, there was interest from those, according to what I'm looking at, but not necessarily offers across the table. But the feeling was, it was uh, he's an undervalued player that if people figured him out, uh, it was going to be hard for Vandy to hold on to, and they did a great job holding on to him. Um, so that is one that I'm curious to watch him run. I'm really curious to see how that running back room uh, translates in in 2022, right? I mean, you've got Patrick Smith, who showed SEC speed. He's going to have to figure it out some. But Ray Davis, if he can get healthy, and we saw what Rocco Griffin can do from a tenacity-wise, and add a really talented young player, Maurice Edwards, into the mix, uh, you know, it, it's it's not Georgia's core of running backs, and it's not Najee Harris from Alabama from a season ago, but it's 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 a roster that you felt was really thin a season ago and you didn't know what you have, and all of a sudden you can go into 2022 saying, I wonder if there's a way that we can't make these backs into a pretty useful group of backs. And then, you know, it, it's hard not to be terribly intrigued by Darren Agu, uh and, and being able to hold on to him and his push and A.J. Swan and the fact that, that he's regarded as he is. Uh, that quarterback room is going to be fascinating to watch. Um, I have absolutely no earthly idea in which way it goes. Uh, but you've got, you've got a couple of really talented players at key positions. If, if a goo can be, um, and I hope I'm pronouncing his name correctly, and, and I'm sure that I will learn it better as we learn more about him. Uh, but, you know, if he's an edge rusher that can put some pressure, that's great. That's a really important position. So is the running back spot. So is the quarterback spot. So all of a sudden you've brought a couple of guys in that, that play really important positions that are worth following. And I know uh, I, I'm, I'm not going to pronounce his, his name appropriately, but the, the last guy I think you'd add to that mix is, is the kid out of, kid out of Germany. Um, yeah, d- don't you know, come to six, help six foot five. here for that one. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, but you know, six, six foot five, you know, six, six, six and a half, 275. Uh, he's got great athleticism. He could be one of those players that you look back in a couple of years ago. Uh, we weren't talking a lot about him because he was out of Germany, didn't have a ton of offers, but his athleticism is through the roof and, and, and he plays a really important position on the field. Okay, let's talk baseball. Polls are starting to trickle out. Vanderbilt was actually number one in perfect game. You're starting to see where they're perceived. You're starting to see where some of the opponents are perceived. Let's just get your thoughts on that, Andrew. Yeah, so I'm thrilled. I mean, look, uh, just from a pure getting things going standpoint, I'm really looking forward to getting it going with this group. But from just a schedule standpoint, how fun is it that we get to start off the season on February 18th against Oklahoma State? So that's a top 20 matchup uh, just to get things going. And I recognize that we're likely to have more of those at Hawkins Field with whoever comes in from the SEC that ultimately will be ranked at that particular moment. But to have to have a jumpstart series like that with Oklahoma State, and they've got some good players now. Um, obviously, Coach Holiday is off of the Coach Corbin tree. Uh, so he's been able to recruit very well. In fact, I know one of the really, really good players, and I'm going to space on his name 
at Oklahoma State, an All-American, uh, was was really in the fold with Coach Jewett down at Tulane. And it uh, was it Nolan McLean? No. Or was it one of their pitchers, the Thompson? Yeah, it or, their, yeah. It, it's the two-way two guy. Yeah, it's Campbell. Campbell yeah, Justin thing. Campbell. It's their two-way guy. Yeah, it's him. He was he was involved with Coach Jewett down at Tulane, and it just didn't pan out down there. And he's 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 blossomed into this uh, really great player for Oklahoma State. So they've got some dudes, and and obviously our first test to see how the new pitching staff uh, gets to put its mark on the program against a program like that with Oklahoma State. It's going to be a lot of fun. So let's see what Patrick Riley can bring to the table. Let's see how Christian Smith develops or. Uh, Carter Holton as a freshman, or what is it like for Nick Maldonado, and what is his role going to be like? Uh, so there's so many fascinating questions with the program, and, and to be able to start it with Oklahoma State, it's it's I, I, it's not quite the Chick Fil A kickoff game between Alabama and I don't know Michigan, it, you know, in Atlanta, but it's 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 a marquee series that you get to get excited about. Uh, we don't get to tiptoe into the season. And I think that's great. Well, to, to make a football equivalent, it's that, that first weekend, you know, when you're, when you're seeing, you know, teams beat somebody 51 to nothing, you know, Eastern Illinois on the bad end of that, like you, you know, everybody's really circling Clemson and Georgia uh, because there's like two or three games worth watching that day. That's what opening weekend of college baseball is like. You get one of these classics out in Houston somewhere where you get yep. a couple of those, and then it's just yep. like everybody in the SEC just beating the pants off, um, <laughs> you know, somebody from the Northeast. And, you know, you just you just oh, hope you get to have oh, enough pitching left on Sunday. Bryant from Rhode Island is not the competition that LSU, you know, are you telling him that's not the competition, LSU? Well, no, no, Bryant, Bryant might versus. be, might be the exception, but um, you know that's that's you've got college baseball knowledge to know that Bryant has been a decent program in the NEC, right, the Northeast Conference or yes, the Northeastern Conference. Yeah, so you've got their. Uh, we're going full circle here. And this is why I pulled Bryant from my back pocket because the pitching coach at Virginia Tech when I left. Uh, had done some nice things with Bryant and helped them get to the tournament. So there you go. Yeah. Well, and there, there's a few good – Bryant's one of those schools that actually invested in baseball and said, uh, hey, we got an opportunity up here while nobody else is is paying attention. And that, that's a team that's in the tournament a lot. You know who's good and it has always absolutely befuddled me is UConn. Coach yeah. Henders at UConn yeah. uh, is, is consistently good – and let me tell you, as a young high school player in the state of Maine, the greater New England area, uh, that's rough, man. Like, you think the six inches, seven inches of snow? And look, I'm not, I'm not shrugging my shoulders at seven inches of snow for Nashville. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> that's I'm just, an event here, I'm just Andrew. saying. <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. And, and I, I'm, I wholeheartedly understand, and I am not shrugging my shoulders at it. I'm just saying – uh, the energy to play baseball through uh, snowstorms or shoveling your field first, or I had I had games in April uh, in high school canceled because the field was too snowy or was too soggy from a recent snowstorm. So my point is to make UConn what he has, or something like Bryant, and Boston College has had its moments now too. Yeah. Um, um, to to make those programs at all respectable is uh, remarkable to me. 
remarkable to me because it, it, it should be Vandy and LSU and Arkansas and Ole Miss. And they do dominate the sport. Don't get me wrong. Those, those, those teams do. But the fact that at any moment in time, UConn and Boston College and Bryant could be competitive, um, you know, it speaks volumes to, you know, Northeastern. The, it's because of the Red Sox, man. And Coach Corbin would tell you the same thing. There, yeah. there's, such a, there's such a love for baseball up there, even though you can't play it. Um, but for like three months out of the year, there's such a love for the Red Sox and for baseball that, that, that you can make it go. That's why. BC is the program I keep waiting to break through because they have been putting talent in the draft. Like they had Sal Freelick last year. Yeah. Um, that's one that I, it must be a depth thing. I keep waiting for that to translate it's into a, more wins. Yeah. Here's, here's what it is. Uh, at least to my knowledge, first off, um, and here's here's why I know some of these things. Um, when I first got to Virginia Tech, the coach was Pete Hughes, who is now at Kansas State. Um, he had a cup of coffee at Oklahoma before it didn't work out. But Pete came from Boston College. Uh, and if people remember Pete Frades, the ice bucket challenge for ALS, yep. Pete Hughes coached Pete Frades uh, at Boston College. Um, but Pete would tell you that when he was at BC, their facilities were so problematic that he couldn't access the field on a Sunday after a football game because the field kind of like Vandy is adjoining to the football stadium, but on football Saturdays, it became a parking lot. So if he wanted to practice on a Sunday after a football game, he would have to get his entire team to grab um, garbage bags and go pick up all of the beer bottles. Uh. So it, it was, Right. It was a disaster for him. And, and I think what he tried to do at BC and what he tried to do at Virginia Tech with a level of success, which is, I think, why you see the turnover, is a recognition that stacking um, classes together in the way that Old Miss or Vandy or Mississippi State or LSU do is very difficult. And the depth of talent in that region is thin. So what you end up doing is you, you, you go find the kids that it's, it's going to sound a little bit like a uh, something you've heard from Vandy football before, but you go find the kids that you can develop and you recognize that you're kind of going to go through these two to three year cycles where you've got to get your freshmen in, you've got to build them up. And by the time that they're juniors and then become draft eligible, they're really good. And then you're going to have to repeat that cycle. And it, it's happened with BC and it happened with Virginia tech a, a couple of different times. Um, Virginia tech went to the tournament once and it was in 2013 when I was there and they had a second round draft pick who plays for the A's now, Chad Pinder. They had a couple of guys that, you know, spent some time in the minors and whatever, but Pete had to build that up over the course of three years. And then as soon as that season was over, they had to start again. And BC's kind of done the same thing and they've got some facility upgrades and whatever, but the depth of talent is not there to stack classes together. Um, and the, and the flat-out feasibility of playing baseball in, in January and February is a mess up there. Um, so that's why you've got these cyclical three-year things for Northeastern schools. There's a lot of love, and Corbin would tell you, for baseball in the Northeast. But in terms of competing at the collegiate baseball level, it just it doesn't, it doesn't come together in the same way that it does for schools um, down here. I feel the adrenaline flowing through my body just talking baseball. I mean, I, I, I can't wait for the season. I think it's going to be so fun in the league. Um, hope to God they have spring training on time. Um, do you remember who won the World Series last <laughs> year, by the way? 
Yeah, I do. I do. <laughs> I do. I sure do. I like how you I did sure that. Do. Okay. Well, <laughs> we'll we'll have a lot of baseball to talk between now and the start of the season. So we'll shelve some of that, but just tell the folks uh, what you've got going on at Vanderbilt, some things you guys are doing. You're always doing some off the, the court and field interviews and specials and things like that. So I want to give you the chance to promo those if you have anything coming up. Yeah, as all. I mean, it's the same sort of stuff. First off, give Kevin and Tim Thompson a listen uh, on their game broadcast. You can do that on 93.3 here in Nashville. Of course, it's available on the Vanderbilt Sports Network from Learfield, which uh, for the folks that don't have it, and I suspect most of your listeners do, the Vanderbilt Game Day app is, is really easy and it's free and, and all that kind of stuff if you're outside of the 93.3 reach. Uh, our podcast will uh, start to pick up a little bit more here in January as we drift towards February. We kind of uh, downscaled for the holidays, but the Anchor podcast, uh, Apple, Spotify, uh, the Vanderbilt Athletics Facebook page is a place you can get it too. So if you miss a Commodore hour, they're up there. Uh, plus, we put out original episodes each week. And we got some fun stuff planned because uh, the Hall of Fame is, uh, event is coming up at the end of January. Uh, so our, our projects lately have been scheduling interviews with all of those Hall of Famers, which means uh, we'll have a conversation with Dansby Swanson, which is uh, slated to be recorded on Thursday, so tomorrow as we speak. So um, check out all of that stuff, and you can find it all on vucommodores.com too. So uh, I know we're at a moment in time where there's a lot of, um, <sighs> well, I guess that reaction in and of itself sums up uh, <laughs> the game that we saw last night yeah. so i won't even put a verb on it uh but we're we're, we're doing some stuff and and we appreciate people checking it out uh, as they make it part of their days and their weeks thank you for listening to today's episode we thank our presenting sponsor jody jones dds we thank our other sponsors sutherland and belk and my perfect franchise.net if you're interested in sponsoring this podcast, and that's how we make this work, please email me at chrislee70 at gmail.com. We also ask that you subscribe to our website, vandysports.com. That is $99 a year. You get things there that you don't get here. And of course, please rate, review, and subscribe where you see our podcast. That helps us get noticed. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at vandysports.com. Follow me at chrislee70. And finally, subscribe to our Vandy Sports YouTube channel as well. Thank you for listening to the Vandy Sports Podcast, which is part of the 440 Network. I'm your host, Chris Lee. We'll catch you with another episode coming very soon.